I talked to all of my friends and people and like, Chris, you'd be a great dad. Uh, once they're here, you're going to love them. And you're, you know, you're just going to, you're never going to know this type right, of love. Right? right. And, uh, the, every time somebody says that to me without a doubt, the first thing I always think of is that that's not really true. Yeah. Like I have a biological dad that knows zero to do with me. Mm-hmm. And yes, my biological mom, she loves me, but she still put me up for adoption. Right. 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 And so I, you know, I, I think I was really, really scared actually I don't think I know I was really really scared of having this person and then just really resenting them for even being there I'm Megan Armstrong welcome to life six feet above six feet above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles, and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Chris's story. So episode 17, I'm so excited to be joined by a friend of mine, Chris Thompson, who oddly enough, I didn't meet through fitness every other pretty much every other guest I've met through the fitness community. And Chris and I go back a couple years now. We met through a mutual friend and we kind of just hit it off because I think um, I think we're very similar in a lot of ways um, as far as kind of what we've been through with our mental health and our, our journey, but also very, very different. <laughs> Would you say that's an accurate description? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely came over on a boat. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, getting to America was a little bit different, you know, for you than it was for me. But so the people can't see you. So explain what that means. I'm probably the only person that you'll ever meet uh, that is Asian with a southern accent, actually. <laughs> uh, Where are you originally from? then? So I was born in Seoul, South okay. Korea. Okay. And then um, I stayed over there for about two years. Uh-huh. And uh, some of that time was spent in an orphanage, actually. Okay. And then I was lucky enough to be adopted. And so flew in, um, didn't really come in on a boat, but I flew in and uh, got here. I had just turned two. I was about two years, three weeks. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, had some great, uh, Caucasian parents Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of just where I kind of was born and how I got here. So we'll, we'll jump into more about the adoption and what it's like, you know, to go through that process, but let's just start from, you know, kind of growing up in the U S you're from Mississippi, rural town in Mississippi. Yes, uh, I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, it's a town of about 39,000 people, uh-huh. and the majority of that is actually military. So okay. um, interesting enough, I was literally the only Asian kid that I can think of growing up. Um, we definitely had uh, <laughs> some nail salons and some Chinese food <laughs> type restaurants in my town, but we... I was the only kid uh, in my high school and things uh, growing up. And so definitely kind of aware of uh, the environment that I was in. Right, right. So let me ask you this. Do you have, for the sake of this podcast, your mom and dad are your adoptive parents. We're just going to say that, right? Because that's that's really who you consider your parents. Correct. So what was, did they have any other children at the time? Did they adopt any other children? Were you an only child? Yeah, so my dad uh, was married before okay. and had a another child. Uh, he he's probably about ten years older than I am. Okay, uh, but we didn't have a lot of contact. So essentially, growing up, I was an only child. Uh, okay. Didn't uh, talk to David very much at all. And so uh, even to this day, um, he could walk in the door, and I actually wouldn't know who he you was. You wouldn't know who he was. Yeah, Got we're it. not even friends on Facebook. If that says anything, <laughs> it does say a lot yeah. actually. So your dad was married before, and then remarried to your mom. Do you know why they decided to adopt? 
Yeah. So my dad is a Vietnam vet. Okay. And so he spent a lot of time over uh, in the uh, Asian uh, countries, mm -hmm. uh, whether it was Korea, Vietnam, or on an aircraft carrier. Uh, unfortunately, my mom was in an accident when she was around five years old, and it just really kind of damaged some of the reproductive organs, and oh. um, she couldn't have children, and so it was something she always had dreamed of. And so when she met my dad, uh, they had already discussed it during the, uh, the dating phase, right. and they were both on board. And so lucky enough, um, you know, uh, they flipped through the catalog, and uh, landed on me. So how, yeah, what's that process like? Like how, how does it even begin? Have you talked to them about the whole process of, you know, finding you? Yeah. Uh, so my dad really loved the area over there. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, kind of his experiences through Vietnam, seeing some of the orphan children, it really affected him mm -hmm. and when he came home. And so he really wanted to kind of focus in on that area specifically. Um, Holt international is a, uh, adoption agency. It's actually my adoption agency, but something that I, uh, try to support. You say hope, uh, hope international, Holt, H O L T H O L T. Holt, okay. Yes. And so they have, um, a really good footprint in the Asian countries. Uh -huh. And so, uh, but it also has a religious kind of background. And so that's where my mom kind of just chose that adoption agency for us or for my dad. Okay. And so, yeah, then they just started kind of going through all the interview process, uh, paying all the money. And yeah. um, I, I kind of kid about this whole like, oh, it's a catalog. But back then it really kind of was. Really? Like, like they send pictures? And... Like think JCPenney catalog, like back in the 80s or an East Bay or a right. LL Bean. Like there really is uh, or there really was a catalog of children. And you would go through and uh, you would kind of just almost shop, for example. Like... And um, yeah, so my mom, uh, the smart lady that she was, yeah. uh, she was... Uh, definitely didn't want the whole potty training thing. So she like skipped ahead <laughs> two years in the process and, uh, I just turned two. and so, they, they had wanted a boy girl or did it not matter? My mom wanted a boy. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, they just kind of went through the process. Um, it's really kind of miraculous that, uh, there's so many kids, yeah. um, to choose from. They didn't realize how hard it was actually going to be, but kind of selecting the age range right. really helped them because, uh, Younger children, specifically babies, mm -hmm. they have a higher adoption rate sure. and uh, there's a more demand for them. Sure. And so kind of skipping up a couple of years uh, expedited the process so they right. could get me sooner and uh, start uh, that journey together. So. And this is thir how many years ago? So you're 30. How old are you now? I didn't think it was going to be like this deep. You're going to have to do have some to, math. I actually have to put my age out there for everyone. Uh, so I'm 37. Okay. So and 35 so, years ago. So I was, let's see, my parents picked me up on February 3rd, 1985. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So uh, did they, they picked you up from where, like, where do you fly into? <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. I have so yeah. many random questions for uh, you. Yeah. So I flew into uh, a blizzard in Memphis, Tennessee really? of all places. Yeah. My dad had literally been my father for about 90 minutes. Uh-huh. Um, it's a funny story. They said that I was crying the entire time being handed over to strangers, right, obviously, sure. um, but it had been snowing. And so it took them hours upon hours to drive from Meridian there. It's about a six hour drive for them. Okay. It took them like 12 to get there because of uh, icy roads right. and some wrecks and stuff. But uh, my dad walked out with me holding me and he actually slipped on a piece of ice. Mm. And so uh, he just kind of grabbed me really tight and he fell backwards and just fell flat on his back Aww. but apparently i thought it was the greatest ride ever because <laughs> at that point i just stopped laughing and i started laughing and um so yeah my dad dropped me basically uh 90 minutes into having me so he literally broke the ice right no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> he broke the ice uh <laughs> that's funny um and also uh you know might explain a couple of things about me some other stuff about yeah. you we'll get uh -huh. into later um do you remember your given name Yes, it's An Sung Jin. Do you know what that means? No clue. Okay. Not a not a clue. Uh, I have it uh, just from my Korean kind of like quasi birth certificate. Right, but, right. And then um, did they rename you before you came over or after? or Afterwards. How did that process work? Yeah, so uh, it's international adoptions. It's actually even to this day, there's a lot of... Uh, finer details that you have to go through that you don't really think of when like adopting someone domestically. Right. I mean, the, the, 
we had to create a birth certificate for me in the right. United States. Um, I was, <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. I was actually the youngest person to gain citizenship in the state of Mississippi uh, for the longest time. Really? Yeah. Uh, I was in fourth grade, but I was a legal alien all the way from two years old to fourth grade, about nine. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, like we had to create a social security number for me, had to create a birth certificate, um, just kind of make up some things right. uh, like the time I was born. Because some of that information wasn't uh, transferred over okay. uh, when I came when I came over. Yeah. And so, yeah, there was a lot of kind of like finer details that had to be in place for me to uh, succeed. And do you remember any of this? I mean, some some people swear they remember when they were like babies mm. and one like, I don't remember anything. But, you know, um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I've just kind of created this image in my yeah. head, but uh, I do remember like the ocean and just kind of like glaring light up from the sun. Uh-huh. And I just don't know where that image really came from. And I just really think that it was me flying over and I just really? looked out on the water and it was just something that was so kind of like awe inspiring. It's just stuck with me. I don't know why that vision is still with me. I can't a hundred percent say that's my first memory, but right. it's something that I've remembered since I can remember. Right. Right. Yeah. So your birth mother Mm -hmm. have you ever talked to her do you know who she is i mean is there any relationship with her is she still alive all the things tell me all the things uh we're facebook friends you are not we are are you really yeah if you ever see like a random like bunch of korean symbols like a picture it's probably one of my uh biological relatives that's your your birth mom yeah yeah my birth mom or one of my brothers so uh, so did she reach out to you years later or did you reach out to her no so i'm not trying to skip ahead uh or anything but um when I was married, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the kid conversation obviously came up a right, little bit and right. I really wanted to have a, have a sh- stronger understanding of just some of the history, um, of my family and uh-huh. just some of the kind of genetics and things like that was if I had a child, would right. they have any type of uh, conditions, potentially something I could pass down. And so that's when I really started my search. Okay. Um, I reached out to Holt international, yeah. uh, and asked to, get as much information as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, my biological mom, uh, it was kind of great. She actually, uh, made it an open adoption for me. So mm-hmm. I could, uh, anytime that I wanted to come find them, I tend you know, it'd be easier. Yeah. And from my understanding, she literally went every year and updated all of her contact information in the event that I ever wanted to do it. Really? So I didn't start this process until I was kind of mid twenties. Okay. And so, that's about 23 years yeah. that she would go back and update wow. contact information in, in the event that I ever wanted to come and find them. And so, uh, yeah, I just went through all the paperwork and then they reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, this is the information. What we will do is if you write a letter, send it to us, we'll translate it mm-hmm. and then we will mail it along. And so I did that entire thing. I wrote the letter, I mailed it. And then I don't know, probably like two months mm-hmm. maybe went by and I got a letter back. From her. From her. Uh-huh. Uh, translated over. And um, it was pretty overwhelming at the time. So I actually stopped the process at that point. Just too much? Just too much. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to feel about it yeah. at the time. Uh, I just, yeah, it was too much. And so it, it almost took like a year for me to process everything. Yeah. And so... Did she explain in that letter what happened and why you, why she gave you up for adoption? Not so much in the letter, but she did tell me about the day that she dropped me off for adoption. Oh, um, apparently, um, she got me up, got me dressed, and uh, I blame her for my uh, being obese. But um, she yes. said I loved ice You're cream. Anything but obese. He's such a liar. As <laughs> uh, you're wearing a Jenny's ice cream hat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she said that I loved ice cream as a child, uh-huh. and so she got me up. We went and got ice cream, and um, yeah. She took me to the adoption agency. Uh, she had already filled out everything, and she kind of left me there. And she said, uh, like, I started crying. Um, you know, I kind of dropped the ice cream. Kate was running after her, and she just had to kind of run away. And um, in the letter, she said that she still doesn't eat ice cream because it brings back so many oh. bad memories. And that was a little tough to read because yeah. it wasn't – I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't something – you know, heartfelt or I guess right. that traumatic for me. So stop the process. And then I picked it up again a, a year later when I was a little bit kind of more emotionally prepared for it. Yeah. And so sent another letter, apologize for the delay in getting back, but 
just that it was a lot. And yeah. Um, yeah, I believe that God works in some kind of miraculous ways. Mm-hmm. My really good friend, Philip, we were college roommates all the way through, basically. Um, uh, he was in my wedding. I was in his. And he actually decided he was going to move to Korea and teach English just randomly. And so he had been living over there for about two years at this time. And so it was really great to have him uh, over there because I flew to meet them. And I had like a little bit of a support system at the time. Wait, you flew to meet your mom? Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. Yeah. So I flew into Seoul. I walked into the agency. Uh She walked in a little bit later. They provided a really great translator, um, someone that had kind of grown, um, spent a lot of time in the States. Okay. So really understood or understood some of the nuance okay. of our language. Yeah. And she walked in and it was just weird. You know, she can't, like, I didn't know, like, I know, you, like, do you hug her? Do you hug? Yeah. You know, like, and then there's also a huge culture difference, right? Right. right. Like, and so I had gifts prepared, um, but I didn't know whether the hug, the bow, I was like, right. I, I, haven't right. bowed to, I haven't bowed to anybody since I was like two years old and it was my dad. <laughs> and so, um, uh, yeah, so we just sat down. She kind of grabbed my hands across the table and just started crying. Aww. And I didn't know what to do. Right. So uh, I just started crying. <laughs> just, like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's like I, I feel like this is a good emotion to display. So okay, you were adopted when you were two, but when did she drop you off? How old? Uh, I was about a year and a half. Okay, so, so I you was, spent six months? I was about six months in the orphanage. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um. And what about your birth dad? Was there any information given about him? So I found out about my birth father uh, when I was over there. Okay. Um, I actually got a lot of that information from my older brother. Um, I have a brother, um, same mom, same Uh dad. uh That's a year older than I am. Okay. 13 months older than me. And I talked to him a little bit about it because his English is just a little bit better. It's broken, but it's a little bit better. And he kind of explained. And so it's it's a really sad story for my mom. Essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, my birth dad, he worked in uh, a town called Andong. Okay. um, It's about, if you were driving, probably about two hours uh, east of Seoul. Seoul, okay. So um, for all the Atlanta listeners, it would be like Augusta, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia. Right, right. Two hours. Um, And so... He was a structural engineer, yeah. and he came into Seoul uh, for a big building project that was going up, a sky rise. And so he would come over, and then in the uh, Asian culture, uh, family is very important. And so uh, on the weekends, he would always go back to Andong, and when he met my mom, he told her that he had a uh, parent that was ill, and that's mm-hmm. why he needed to be back all the time. So they... Uh, dated and for about two years, mm-hmm. uh, had my older brother, yeah, uh, and then had me, and then it kind of got a little weird because she was like, "Why have I never met your family?" Right, that right. kind of thing, and so uh, he was pretty much a jerk. Uh, oh. He had an entire whole family back no in Andong. Way. Yeah, uh, he was married, had uh, kids uh, in Andong. He was just hanging out with my birth mother uh, during the week. Wow. So, uh, that kind of blew up, of course. Yeah. And once it came out, it's a huge kind of like scarlet letter right. for my mom specifically, because already she's having children out of wedlock, right. but now it's a married man, married man. Oh. and, uh, the socioeconomics of it all yeah. was that my dad was well educated. He made money. Uh, and then my mom was uneducated. Mm. And so it just left such a hardship for her. Mm. And so, um, asked about kind of him a little bit. And my older brother said that they met for dinner when he was uh, an adult Mm -hmm. after his military service. So your older brother met your birth dad. Yes. Okay. And his family. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and basically just said it was like one of the coldest kind of interactions they ever had. Mm. And, that it wouldn't be worth my time. I'd right. be really disappointed. Right. And just kind of hearing uh, what happened and what he did, it wasn't something where I was really just, you know, yeah, looking forward or there's excited. no desire yeah, to, to you're not excited to meet, to meet him or yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you're fine with never meeting him. Yeah, totally fine with never meeting yeah. him. Um, you know, I kind of got what I needed. I think sure. from uh, my mom. So was your older brother put up for adoption as well? No, uh, my mom kept him. Really? Yeah. Um, and that was the question that was always the hardest for me. Cause, yeah. Why? Uh, like, you know, we were a year apart. Like, how right. did you decide? You, did you flip a quarter? Right. Um, you know. I mean, and something like that's got to 
I mean, and we'll get into all of this, but that's that's got to be the basis of a lot of emotional stress throughout the rest of your life is always wondering like, why, like, why could you keep him and not me? Right. Yeah. It was going into the conversation. I really thought I had thought of everything under the sun on like, you know, why it was me. And it was the most obvious (laughs) that I didn't think of, of course. Um, which was, I was the youngest. Mm. And so the younger you are, the better chance you have of getting adopted. Oh, okay. It was as simple as that. I never had put it together that way, but the younger you are, statistically, you have a better chance of being adopted, especially when you start getting into kind of pre-pubescent years and teenage years. There's almost no hope at that point. So did that provide some emotional relief? I mean... Yeah, yeah, it really did uh, because I just wasn't sure. Like, did did she like you know, my brother better, right, right. Like really, what was the cause? And, um, it really came down to just, uh, almost like a teach heart, the pros and cons. And yeah. the pro was I would get adopted sooner. Uh, I had a better chance of getting adopted. Yeah. Uh, my brother was older, so he's a little, he was already more, um, I guess kind of hands off like he could. Right. And so when she was working, she was doing this alone. Mm. Um, she felt like he could kind of entertain himself a little bit more. She wouldn't be quite have to be quite as present. So it was really um, just a survival kind of yeah. uh, decision. Yeah. And so she just kind of took me and put me up there. Gosh. And, uh, you know, um, luckily just I had the greatest parents ever that decided to make me part of their family. Right. Over here in mm-hmm. Mississippi. Yeah, over here in the great state of Mississippi. So let's talk about that, growing up as an Asian in Mississippi. I mean, we could talk about what's going on right now, but I would imagine 30-some years ago, it was very similar, dealing with some racism issues and, um, you know, especially having Caucasian parents. So what's, you know, how far back can you remember, or at what point in your life were you like, okay, I'm different. I'm different than all my friends and their parents. And how did that affect you throughout your, you know, not even high school years, like before that, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Um, I knew pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that kind of about the time you become self-aware, you start yeah. asking kind of those questions. And, uh, my mom and dad always just always just told me, it's like, uh, you know, uh, your mom and like your, your birth, they were always up front. Uh, yeah. your birth mom, she couldn't take care of you. And we just wanted uh, a son of our own to love and to be part of our family. And we chose you Yeah, and that was always good enough for me. Right. Uh, but I, I definitely knew right away. Um, I, I will say that it helped that my dad is a military veteran mm. and that we grew up in a lot of, um, different environments. So I had African American friends. I had some Indian friends, uh, white friends, obviously, right, right. but, um, I think that really helped a little bit, yeah. but I always knew, um, that I was different, right. uh, even to this day. Uh, you know, I get reminded of that because we could go into a restaurant. I might hold the door for my mom and they would go up to the hostess, maybe get right. a table and they would say something like, Oh, a table for two. Mm. And you know, it's just that kind of quick jab. It doesn't sting or anything, but it's just a quick reminder right. of, of, you know, I, I look nothing like right. them uh, whatsoever. And so it was just the, uh, the assumption that I was just being a nice guy holding your door. Right. And when we walk into the restaurant, <laughs> it's like table for two. And it's like, no, it's yeah. a table for three. Yeah. And I'm actually paying for this because, yeah. you know, it's my mom's birthday. So take that. Right, 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 right. So they named you, did they name you Chris for any particular reason? Yes. So um, Christopher means bearer of Christ. Okay. And my mom wanted uh, to name me that. And then they felt like I was getting my last name from my dad, okay. Thompson. Thompson. And they wanted me to have some of my uh, Asian heritage uh, and not forget who I was. And so on mm-hmm. my family name in Korea is actually my middle name. Right. And so it's Christopher on Thompson or uh, Chris. But, yeah. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. Yeah. So let's talk about your relationship with your parents. Obviously you adored them. They adored you. Um, you're very close to your mom growing up, but maybe not so much your dad until more recently. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, my parents were great. Uh, I'd say that I got kind of my work ethic from my dad uh-huh. and then I kind of got some of my empathy and kind of my heart from my Emotional mom. Emotional stuff from yeah. your mom. Uh, yeah. My dad was definitely a military guy and very straightforward. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I remember kind of like eighth grade, ninth grade somewhere. I 
tried to ask him for some advice on uh, how to ask a girl out on a date. And he was just like, just go ask her. The worst thing she can say is no. <laughs> it's like, well, you're absolutely no help whatsoever. <laughs> but also very true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, my dad and I are, are much different in personality. Yeah. I would be running through the house, just singing away, doing something stupid or something I wasn't supposed to. And he was kind of like sitting in a chair reading a book. Mm. Um, so uh, we definitely uh, didn't have that kind of talking relationship yeah. growing up. Uh, but he did everything that I think kind of his generation was supposed to do as a father, right? Sure. He was at every game, right. every practice, helping with the homework, instilling a strong work ethic, whether it was me outside mowing the grass or helping him do projects. Um, always there, uh, you know, never wanted for anything. Financially Yeah, while we didn't grow up, you know, rich or anything by any means, but um, always had food. Uh, You know, I played a lot of sports, always had the equipment. Yeah. You know, I had everything that I I could want, but as far as just talking to him about, you know, some more emotional things, Mm -hmm. that just wasn't a a big... uh, thing and that's where my mom came in really taught me through a lot of things and uh you know it was tough uh my dad was gone uh six nine months at a time for different right. deployments right um and then just growing up in mississippi kind of dealing with some things uh it was you know I, i'm not gonna say i was an angel <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had that conversation once or twice so what did your mom do uh so my mom was a stay-at-home mom so okay. she was always there uh you know picking me up from school yeah uh feeding all the neighborhood kids, uh, reading me books at night. She, uh, you know, she was the just, I guess, stereotypical kind of maybe 50s, 60s type mom, yeah. just at home, yeah. always like cooking, always, you know, dressed yeah. like a certain way and uh, just being a, a great mother. And we say was because yeah. she passed away. She did. I lost my mom about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was February 23rd. So I had just moved back to Atlanta. I'd been back for less than a year and then... um she was battling a lot of different uh, kind of health ailments, um, kind of congestive heart failure, renal failure. She mm. had really bad diabetes. How old was she? Uh, my mom was 75 when she passed. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Uh, eat healthy people. Yeah. Take don't care eat, of yourself. Yeah. Don't eat Southern cooking all the time like my mom did. <laughs> Although it was delicious, the pancakes she would make. So that's two years ago. So that's fresh. Yeah, I, I think of my mom every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that the, I don't think it hurts any less. I just think you got to get accustomed to uh, the hurt a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, big holidays, of course, come, but it's kind of the, the rare moments that um, I'm not kind of like shielded from it mm-hmm. a little bit that really kind of hit me. Yeah. Um, uh, the other day, uh, I have my good buddy Alex and, you know, his wife, Chantal, I have a mm-hmm. beautiful little girl. I, I love going over there. We'll watch some fights. And I'll get to play with her. Um, but it's kind of those moments where I think, oh, you know, like th- this would be awesome, right? right. <laughs> I'd like, like have a little girl to run around with. But then it's that kind of split second thought where like, God, my mom would love this, that I'm yeah. just not really prepared for. Yeah. Um, that it, like, you know, it's, it's fresh. It, it hurts quite a yeah. bit when I kind of think of, you know, everything that's going to be missed. Like my mom getting to meet maybe, uh, you know, my future daughter and then my future daughter not getting to know her her grandmother Mm -hmm. and somebody that was the most influential person in my life. Right. 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 But you know, it's carried on in you Mm -hmm. and she instilled a lot of amazing qualities in you and, and you have that to give the next generation and, and your friends and your, your family. So, um, I've never lost a parent, but, my dad lost his brother when he turned 50 years old. And I just remember seeing <clears throat> the pain of my cousins mm-hmm. um, and what they went through and what they still go through every day. And like you said, it doesn't ever go away. It just, it just is different. Yeah. Right. So was she, you said she was sick, but was it like a sudden thing? Like, or was she kind of going downhill for a long period. Like, did you, and again, I, I've never been there. So it's like, how do you prepare for it? You know, what's coming or did you not know it's coming or. Yeah. So she was sick for a while. Uh, you know, she was, uh, kind of in poor health for about two years prior okay. to this. Uh, and then even before that, obviously you could see the signs and some of the issues that she was having. Yeah. Um, and so knew it was coming somewhat, uh, but it was still a shock to me when I actually got the call from my dad. Right. Um, 
so you were you, you hadn't gone home you didn't know it was like coming immediately no i had okay. no clue okay. uh it was a friday afternoon and i just got a call yeah. my dad was crying and you know once you hear that i just knew automatically what had just happened right and uh it was just it, it, it was a shock. Uh, two months before she passed, she actually had a seizure. Mm-hmm. And when she came, uh, you know, everything was somewhat fine afterwards. But when she came back from that, she was noticeably different. She was very forgetful. There were things that you could just tell that she wasn't kind of running on all cylinders mm-hmm. sometimes when you talk to her. Uh, it wasn't bad to where she didn't know who I was. Okay. But um, she, but even then, after that, I was still thinking that she was going to be around for a while. Right. You know, uh, certainly a couple more years, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it just, even with all of that, even like specific timelines put in front of, you know, my father and I, when she was going through some of the, uh, the heart stuff, mm-hmm. it was still just, uh, you know, a punch in the gut when it yeah. finally happened. So, yeah. yeah. So did you end up going home and spending some time with your dad? Yeah. So I, I left, I had, uh, just got and they're still in Mississippi at this point correct yes yes my my mom and dad were still in Mississippi um and yeah so um, I drove all the way home to Mississippi which is about five hours away Mm -hmm. from me Uh, helped my dad with some things um all the you know what would she like to wear that kind of thing and then I actually drove all the way back to Atlanta and then drove from there up to kind of the Nashville area because that's where my mom was from oh okay And so drove all the way back to pick up some things that I needed like a suit and things that I just ran out the door yeah, and yeah. didn't bring and drove up there. And then we got the funeral, excuse me, the funeral arrangements mm-hmm. together. And, um, uh, yeah. Uh, after that spent, you know, a week or so with dad, just yeah. kind of, I believe it was a week, something like that, you know, just with him. Right. And, uh, you know, they were married for 39 years. Wow. Yeah. So it was a big shock to him and just yeah. his everyday life. But, um, yeah, losing his best friend was certainly tough. So yeah. I was trying to, be there a little bit more and you're uh, trying to grieve your mother and also support your father. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's a, that's, those are big shoes to fill. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was a lot, but, um, I kind of grew up with a lot on my shoulders. Right. Probably more than I should have. Right, honestly. Right. And, uh, which kind of leads me into, you know, just kind of why I am the way I am. Yeah. Some of the things that I've had to deal with. So, yeah, well, I would imagine too, you know, being adopted and knowing that this, this woman wanted you more than anything in the world, right? To lose that person. I mean, that's just got to be incredibly emotional. And, and like you said, something you think about every day. And, but I, I'm, I'm wondering kind of what you do to keep her memory alive and to keep it. So it doesn't spin you into a negative space, which it, mm-hmm. you know, probably did for a while. Yeah. And then how also changed your relationship with your dad? Yeah. Uh, so the answer to your, your first question, uh, you know, I just try to, to keep her memory alive. It's something that, uh, I just try to be the best guy that I can, someone yeah. that she would still be proud, proud of. of yeah. Um, I, uh, you know, my first date in high school, I uh, had kind of forgotten my wallet. And so I had picked up my date and came back to the house real quick. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, I invite my date in to meet my mom real quick as I grab my wallet and we're walking out. And she had actually, I guess when we were getting in the car to leave, she had looked out of the window and was watching everything. And, um, you know, I go on my date, get home a little bit later. She's waiting up and she's like, hey, how did it go? And she goes, well, why didn't you open the door for her? <laughs> You know, I, I didn't open the door. I just let her get in. And, uh, I just, you know, I was just, I was what, 14, 15 right, years right, old. Right. And I was just like, well, she's got arms <laughs> <laughs> and that was not an answer. And I just never will forget that my mom, uh, I think she was prepared for it. Like, I, cause I don't know where the hell the broom came from, Yeah. but there was a broom in her hand, like almost immediately. And I just, re- and she just kind of hit me with it. And I was like, what are you doing? And she <laughs> just kept hitting me. So like at that point it was kind of funny. And so my mom, who's not graceful at all. Yeah. Like I just never will forget. I was like literally running out our front door and she was kind of like waddle chasing me with uh-huh. the broom and just laughing the entire time. She's like, we got to teach you how to do this. And, um, you know, I, like I, it's still something that I, like, I just sticks with me, like yeah. trying to be, um, someone that my mom would be proud of yeah. is really just that. And one day I would really, uh, like to adopt at some point. Really? And yeah. Okay. I, I think that would be something I'd really like to give back to. Cause I, 
domestically and they, like an international adoption or it, it really doesn't, doesn't matter, matter. Yeah. no I, I just think passing that along yeah um if i could start a legacy uh yeah. for generations it would be to give love to children that might not you know otherwise have it sure and uh that's just something that's always been kind of sticking with me and then holt if anybody is a Facebook friend or something, I'm always kind of posting different things about adoption right, and right. Uh, being an advocate for that. If you have questions, certainly reach out. Yeah. Um, I have a friend that, you know, they had adopted and I've kind of talked to them a little bit about things. And mm-hmm. uh, in today's world, uh, whether you know it or not, you know, people, they, they are having some trouble sometimes conceiving and yeah. going through that process. And uh, I've talked to a couple of couples before on just what it's like and some of the challenges that you might face yeah. and things. And so um, it's something that I really want to pass on, not only to maybe my family later on, but anyone that might have interest in uh, kind of going down that road. Okay, great. Yeah. And then, you know, after all of this, this happened with your mom, I think you mentioned to me your relationship with your dad kind of started to change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of an eye opener for him. Um, I remember I'd came home. It was my freshman year of college actually. And I was helping him with a project and this huge piece of plywood flew off of his truck and we had turned around to get it. And this guy just ran him on the road, I guess, decided he was going to take this piece of wood. So my dad got out of the truck and was like, Hey, that's mine. He said it a little bit more um, kind of aggressively, <laughs> aggressively than that. Uh, and so he got in, uh, got in the truck. And I was like, what did you say to the guy? And he just goes, well, that's my effing piece of wood. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember my dad had never cussed like that in front of me before. And it just I was just so shocked. Yeah. And I just started laughing and being like, Dad, you just dropped the F-bomb. And he yeah. started laughing. And like, I, I know it sounds crazy, but that is literally the one moment where our relationship changed. Uh, I think that for the first time, he kind of just thought of me as like a man mm-hmm. versus his son and just mm-hmm. someone he had to protect a little bit. And so he started to open up at that point. We could have like more in-depth conversations, whether it was politics or what's going on in the world, what was going on with me, right. school, uh, career, whatever. And then when I actually lost my mom, uh, you know, that's when things really changed because now when we talk, it's like every time we hang up, yeah. he's like, I love you. I could probably count two times, maybe three before that going from two to 18 that my dad said, I love you. Yeah. And, um, even, you know, a couple more times after, uh, you know, the incident with the wood. Right. But after my mom, it's literally every time now, like he's just like, you know, I love you, son. Uh, you know, I hope you have a good week yeah. and, you know, I'll talk to you, you know, later on or something. So yeah. really changed. Um, I, uh, confide in him a lot more than I used to and, uh, kind of ask his advice on things right. and, um, just let him know that he's important to me. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, if one positive thing came out of, uh, my mom passing, it would be that my dad and I have grown, um, extremely close yeah. and hopefully, uh, we were planning on going out to San Diego you know, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, pre-COVID and, uh, yeah. So hopefully going to get to travel a little bit with him and stuff. Yeah. So, um, that's the one positive thing I can say that came out of my mom passing. That's great. And he, he's retired obviously. Oh, hell no. Is he still working? Oh yeah. I try to get him to retire all the time. Um, but he, uh, works for a, a Navy contractor now. Oh wow. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I wish he would retire and get a little bit closer to us Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or to me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it keeps him, uh, mentally aware yes. and it gives him purpose. Yep. And, uh, I busy. think that's, yeah, it keeps him busy mm-hmm. and it's not just sitting at home, uh, twiddling his thumbs right. and realizing that mom's not there. Right. It really keeps him active and right. doing things. And so, um, as long as he, uh, wants to continue, continue to do it, I'll be supportive of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's 70, oh goodness, 72 now. And okay. he's still just chugging along. He picks up charity projects to build houses and decks all the time. He yeah. just like, he just loves to be active Yeah, and he's always been a, such a strong worker and uh, doing things right. So wow. yeah, one day, oh, maybe 39 we'll years, one day, maybe. Well, let's just, let's just go there. Let's, uh-huh. So you were married at one point. I was. How old? Were you? Oh gosh, I was twenty-seven. Okay. When and I you married. lived? Where did you live when you got so, married? So uh, we were in Mississippi. Okay. Uh, yeah, I met my ex-wife uh, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she is uh she's wonderful she really is yeah um i like i still remember the first time i met her yeah what she was wearing and where it was <laughs> That's so cute yeah um so uh yeah it was someone that i was instantly attracted to yeah. someone that i instantly kind of gravitated toward it was funny throughout college we you know we were either dating someone else or you know just how you kind of like just go by each other you're timing. around each other all the time mm-hmm. and the timing wasn't there and mm-hmm. then it, eventually it was and so yeah we dated for a couple years and then uh yeah i was just like hey uh I want to marry this person. Yeah. You know? And so I uh, got married and uh, yeah, we kind of had a little adventure. We lived in several different places in the U.S. We spent some time in Mississippi. Okay. We lived in Atlanta for five years. Then we went out to Denver for a couple of years, ended up in Charlotte. And then unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out. Yeah. And so we didn't. Uh, and so we separated. And that's when I moved back to Atlanta. So how long were you actually married for? Uh, a little over seven years. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So came back to Atlanta, wanted to kind of start fresh and just kind of be your own person, right? Um, but I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before. It it does something, especially to a male psyche, mm-hmm. um, going through divorce. And did your mom die before y'all got divorced or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she died. No, no, no. I'm sorry. She had died uh I'd literally been back to Atlanta for about two months when I moved back when she passed. So okay. we were already okay. separated. That's so you were separated yeah. and then your mom dies mm-hmm. and, and your emotional journey kind of is whirlwind, right? Yeah. 2016, 17 was the, <laughs> the easiest way I can say it's the worst, like kind of 12 months ever. Yeah. Right? I, uh, failed in my marriage, mm-hmm. uh, lost my mom mm-hmm. and uh, just was just very depressed and unhappy. Um, that's yeah. the only way I can put it. I uh, was really doing a lot of soul searching at the time. And so, uh, yeah, it was a dark time uh, for me there. Uh, you know, um, I've kind of dealt with some depression type issues all the time. One thing I didn't mention about my mom is that she was actually a, a schizophrenic. Really? Yeah. And so uh, I mentioned that my dad was gone at long times and that I had kind of a lot on my shoulders. So during high school is when the symptoms really started to uh, become very prevalent. She would think that like cameras were like following her in stores, that people were out to get her. People were going to take me away. So I think it was like some of her worst fears just really kind of coming to the forefront. Um, And it was all always geared towards someone was taking me away really yeah so i think it really played on her kind of core fear that maybe a she maybe was kind of an inadequate mom you know which i i think every parent feels that way at some point and then two was that uh me being adopted that there was always a chance that either i might want to kind of go find my family and wouldn't need them anymore Mm -hmm. or that someone else would try to take me away Mm -hmm. right and so um dealt with that um it was, you know, so I was 16, 17 years old. My dad's gone for nine months in Turkey. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to get in touch with him. Like, dad, mom's going, like, I don't know what to do. Did he set yeah. you, did he warn you that this could happen? Did you even no, know? No. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. Okay. Like, you know. So um, he hadn't really experienced it before. No, no, no. Like, she was kind of a little bit, we could tell something was a little bit different. Yeah. But um, we also... You just never think that's it, right? right? Like you might, she might say something kind of offhand. It's like, man, I, like I feel like that person's following me. Mm. You know, like yeah, you hear it, but at the same time, you're just like, uh, you know, she just she's right. It's like a pat fleeting moment between my dad and I. Yes, I support women's rights, but I was just like, she's just been a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a jerk. Yeah, I know. So, you know, it's like, oh, it's just your mom, right? <laughs> and so yeah, we started to hear some things, but certainly never expected that and so yeah so I dealt with a whole lot I remember that my dad actually sent me away uh for Christmas um for two weeks to some friend's house down in New Orleans and when I got back my dad had committed her really yeah so she was uh in a facility for about two three months while they got her kind of regulated on some medications and things like that okay but he didn't want me to be a part of that Mm. so as a sophomore in high school uh, I literally was sent away um like 
I don't know. He like, didn't tell you why? No. He's like, you're going well, away? He, he said that like, hey, uh, your mom and I need to go to the doctor, do some things. Okay. And um, I just think that it would be a good time for you to go visit uh, your buddy Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just thinking as a 14 or 15 year old, it's like, oh yeah, uh, Coach Tommy is awesome. And he'll probably take us to Bourbon Street and I can probably see some boobs. <laughs> If I'm just honest, like as, as a 14 or so, I didn't really think anything of it because we right. had been talking about me going down there to visit right. anyway. And so we went down there or I went down there. I took the train by myself, which was kind of cool. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, it was just like kind of right after Christmas. So I spent New Year's down yeah. there and uh, yeah, I got back and I was like, hey, where's mom? And he was like, well, she's going to be staying at this facility, sat me down and explained it all. And um, like most people that deal with medication yeah. and that type of thing. She would have like uh, good times and bad times, yeah. and it usually relegated around the kind of I don't know false belief that hey, I don't need the medication anymore. I'm right. getting better, and so she was good for a little bit, and then it would be bad. And yeah. uh, Dad would do his best, but you know he was still active at the time, and so he would he would be deployed, right? And um, right. it would just be Mom and I, and you know there were. So this, do you feel like this huge weight to to take care of her and look out for her and play the you know, the, the husband type of role in very much being a son at the same time. Oh yeah. Um, you know, when I went away for college, um, it was, it was even worse then because, mm-hmm. uh, she had diabetes, she had these kind of mental health issues mm-hmm, going on. Mm-hmm. And I am just kind of a straightforward person. Like, yeah. you know, if you ask my advice, I'll just tell you what I really yes, think. Yes. I know that very well. Yeah, uh-huh, I'll, I'll uh-huh. definitely tell you. It might not be what you want to hear, but I will, I will tell you what I think. It's one thing I can say about you. Um, you're brutally honest. <laughs> I, I will tell you what I think, and uh-huh. it, but it, but it frustrates me when it's not even like an opinion. It's just a fact, yeah. right? If you have, uh, you know, diabetes or you're overweight, things like that, you need to monitor your diet. Right. 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 And my mom would never do that. And I, and you know, I, I would get so frustrated at her because be like, would don't you want to be around? Don't right. you want to see like the right. rest of my life? Like, I feel like you can eat a salad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so in college it was just really hard. And I I just always, and my dad was never very vocal about yeah. it. He always just kind of let her do what he, what she wanted. Was kind of sat back and I would just get so frustrated with both of them because yeah. it's like, guys, it's not that hard. Dad, you need to like tell her, like, I don't care if you have to count her pills every morning. Like I did right. in, in high school right. at 17, like, counting her pills to make sure she's taking them every couple of right. days kind of thing. Like you can do the same thing. And he's like, no, she's fine. She's an adult. She can do it. And it was, uh, just super frustrating. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, well, it's frustrating when you love someone so much, but they don't want to take responsibility for their life. Yeah. And that's the hardest part about any sort of mental health issue. It's like, you can't want it more for someone else than they want it for themselves. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, it's their life. Yeah, I had two choices. I could move back and really uh, micromanage the mm-hmm. situation, or I could continue to grow and to live my life right. and to um, kind of progress that way. And so right. I chose the latter. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah, it was just, you know, I, I felt like uh, I had, I didn't realize this at the time, but I just had so much kind of weight and responsibility on my soldiers, or at least I felt like it, mm-hmm. because, you know, getting mom sometimes to doctor's appointments, because uh, maybe my dad was gone for two weeks for training and, right. you know, doing that kind of thing. It was just, uh, a lot. And so kind of coming out of that, uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college, that's where, uh, my depression really started to set in. I remember talking to a doctor mm-hmm. and, um, he gave me like Zoloft, right? It was yeah. very family practice. Yeah. Just here, just take a pill just take a pill, and, 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 yeah. go, and go on about your way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, later on, uh, it was really, I think kind of, I don't know, probably year one into my marriage that it really hit me. Where, so this is like f- five, six years after that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I kind of managed it, but at the time I was so, uh, I was just, I was distracting myself from right. so many things. I was right. going out a lot, uh, doing the typical college yep. scene and, uh, yeah, it really just distracted me a whole lot from issues. I got out of that. I was very kind of career driven, like oriented working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had some big things going on. I was getting married, uh, doing all of this stuff, but after you have time to sit in your thoughts mm-hmm. and it's, you know, where you're in, that's where, uh, things started to pop up, right. Yeah. From a depression yeah. standpoint. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was super tough. Went back to the doctor, uh, 
eventually got kind of diagnosed kind of with the whole clinical depression right. thing. And, um, even then <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite. I'm over here talking about my mom. Um, uh, but see, I went down the same cycle, mm-hmm. even knowing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the doctor had prescribed some medicine, some things I should be doing. And, you know, I would do it for a little bit and then right. I would get off of it. Right. And, uh, my marriage certainly suffered because right. of that. Sure. Uh, um, I definitely wasn't the husband my wife deserved. A right. lot of, uh, you know, there were times that I just wasn't, I know that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, like it, it got bad. Like I remember specifically when we were, my wife and I were living in Atlanta the first time, uh, I like guns, mm-hmm. go second amendment. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I literally gave her one and I was like, like just hide it. I don't want to know where it is. Cause I was having some bad thoughts. Uh, really? Yeah. I told her to hide it and she hit it and she was like, you know, she's in, she's in the healthcare profession. She's right. a nurse practitioner. Right. She's like, you're going to see somebody immediately. Right. Yeah. And so went, was having some talk therapy, doing some visualization type stuff. Um, certainly shifting the narrative on how my thoughts were coming to me yeah. instead of saying typical things like this is the worst day ever saying right. this is the best day ever right. and why and doing a lot of that. But it was certainly really bad. Uh, during that time and, uh, had some medicine, mm-hmm. you would use it for a little bit, but then I'd get off because, uh, for you people that don't know, you know, usually antidepressants, I mean, from a kind of just sex life standpoint, it yeah. sucks. Yeah. Like, you know, um, there's some side effects there. Uh, and it just, you know, it's kind of just emasculating as a guy, right? you know, uh, right. And it just wasn't great. And then after the divorce, it was even worse right. because, uh, to your point, it really kind of like divorce is like probably, at least in my opinion for a guy, is really like your probably worst defeat that you're mm-hmm. going to really have. Because mm-hmm. um, there's something about the, at least idea from a societal standpoint of, go to work, make a great family life, be a good husband, do all this. And if you can't do that, then it's kind of almost in your head a little bit. It's like, well, I'm less of a man, right? Right. Like, right. Uh, you feel like a failure. Yeah. yeah. Um, your biggest failure by, by far. Yeah. And just, just emasculate us. And then all the thoughts start creeping yeah. in of, you know, what did I do wrong? Am I right. not good enough? Right. Like, uh, all of these kind of things. Right. And it was such a dark time. Um, Luckily, my good friend Froy at the time, yeah. he uh, recognized some things and we were friends and he let me live with them, which was really like one of my saving graces yeah. um, because he uh, he would check in on me and make sure that I was good. And um, while I might not have always been receptive to it all the time, yeah. um, I always appreciated it. Um, and uh, I do remember, though, I was sitting in his carriage house. I lived out there for about six months after the divorce. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, don't not a lot of people know this. But, yeah, literally had a gun in my mouth at one point. Really? Yeah, like, I, I, I was crying. I uh, just really just couldn't find, you know, the light to, yeah. get, to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I wish I had, like, uh, <laughs> like some really great story, kind of like yours, yeah. like, you know, a phone ringer. Or, yeah. or, or something. Um, but I literally just, uh, I mean, I'm thankful for it now, but it, I was just too scared. Right. Yeah. Cause I grew up in this kind of religious household a little bit and I just couldn't get past like, sure. you know, is there something else out there? Like, I don't want to go to like hell, you know, right. like, and it was really right. this, like, is my pain going to be worse? Right. Cause, um, I couldn't imagine it at the time that it would be worse, but yeah. I could also, it was like, but if I'm wrong, right. then it would just end like, you know, right. what's the point? So that time was just a, you know, a horrible time for me post-divorce, but there were signs all along the way. Sure, 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 sure. Do you, did you talk to somebody and, and I'm a huge believer that the way we are as adults and a lot of the emotional things that we have going on now, it stems from our childhood Mm -hmm. 1000%. Did you ever talk to somebody or do you think there is an element of not being good enough because you were put up for adoption? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you talked to somebody about that? Yes, I did. Yeah, like, okay. um, after that, uh, you know, I started seeing a therapist pretty yeah. regularly, um, like once a week regular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even now I have like, like kind of like monthly check-ins yeah. just to, uh, kind of keep, make sure that I'm not slipping. Um, luckily uh, I have a 
good group of core people that uh, check in on me. And mm-hmm. uh, if I if I do start to slip, up, they kind of remind me. But uh, yeah, so I, I went and talked to somebody. And one thing to kind of circle back to my marriage is when I got married originally, I told my wife that I didn't want kids. Mm-hmm. I was 100% certain before we got married, then um, during our marriage counseling, all of this, like, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we butted heads with, you know, a little bit. Cause why, why well, didn't you uh, want kids? Well, you know, at the time I, I, I just said that like, I'm selfish. I just want to travel, do yeah. all these things, which is fair. Yeah, I just, I'm yeah, always yeah. curious um, why guys say that. But you know, uh, I, I, when I really thought about it years later, years later was that I was just really scared yeah. because, uh, you know, you, I talked to all of my friends and people and like, Chris, you'd be a great dad. Uh, once they're here, you're going to love them. And you're, you know, you're just going to, you're never going to know this type right, of love. Right. right. And, uh, the, every time somebody says that to me without a doubt, the first thing I always think of is that that's not really true. Yeah. Like I have a biological dad that knows zero to do with me. Mm-hmm. And yes, my biological mom, she loves me, but she still put me up for adoption. Right. 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 And so I, you know, I, I think I was really, really scared Actually, I don't think I know. I was really, really scared of having this person, and then just really resenting them for even being mm. there. And then, and I never wanted someone to go through some of the things that I went through. Right? right? Like, right. Uh, I wanted to be a loving father, but this whole idea that, oh, trust me, you're going to love them. Like, I, I just never bought into it. Yeah. And um, I wasn't mentally um, mature enough at the mm-hmm. time to realize that's what it was. Yeah. But so I just was like, oh, I just want to travel. I'd, I'd rather have a car, uh, you know, a Ferrari than put a kid right, through college, right. you know, like that kind of thing. And, um, my wife was okay with it at the beginning. And then of course, of course. she changed Yeah, and, um, deservedly so. And so yeah. for the longest time I wasn't, uh, mature enough to understand that need. Yeah. I was, you know, my, I, my thought was, I told you this. Yeah. What are you talking about? You're right. changing your mind. Right. You, you know, we, we had agreed on this, yeah. right? Like yeah. I never changed my mind on anything in life. Uh, and she actually sat me down one day crying and just told me why she needed to be a mom. Aww. And she actually changed my mind. Really? She really did. Uh, she was just telling me like all the things that like, why? And, uh, I just remember just being there like, you know, you love your wife, right? How can you deprive her of something right. like this? Right. And, uh, you know, if, there's some emotional baggage there that we'll get through it together. Right. right and right. so she changed my mind. Well, um, hopefully on, she on understood it. where you were coming from too, because you're, you're coming from a diff- very different place than most men in America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I could say that I was probably, uh, articulate enough at the time to really kind of express it. Right. But I think that I was during that time I was still fighting, uh, you know, going back and forth and fighting a sure, long way. I sure. kind of actually wasn't so much, I say she changed my mind and she did, but it was also kind of relenting a little bit. Like, yeah. all right, well, if you say you love your wife, you're going to do this for her. Right. right. It wasn't so much that at the time I was just like, oh, I want kids. Right. It, it was only after kind of like post-divorce <laughs> that I was like, okay, I kind of want kids now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, I think that's a, a big lesson is like, if you're going to bring a human being into this world, you really do have to be ready. And especially now with so much going on, um, not that you're ever going to be a hundred percent ready, but you have to realize that in your own time and deal with a lot of your own issues before you can be ready to, to raise another human being. Oh yeah. And I can barely raise myself. (laughs) Um, so obviously, you know, going through, severe depression and, and having gun in your mouth. I mean, those are always, those are very, um, nothing ever traumatic happened to you, right? Like I was talking to somebody the other day about this and a lot of people that I've had on my podcast, they've had huge trauma in that, you know, there was sexual abuse or there was this mm-hmm. and that. And like, you're like, I don't, I don't have an interesting story. I don't, I'm like, your story is, is not that it's traumatic, but it's, it's so different yet so relatable because these issues of, of being adopted and then, you know, growing up in rural Mississippi, like maybe people can't relate to those specifics, but they can relate, relate to the emotions that have surfaced, um, Mm -hmm. from some of these issues. And I think that's kind of the biggest point with my podcast is Mm -hmm. that we can all relate 
on an emotional level. Yeah. So you just being open and being willing to share that is, is huge. And I want to know, you know, you saw therapists and, and was there something that made you take the gun out of your mouth? Uh, just that I was scared, yeah. honestly. Like I yeah. wish there was something that I could say that was a little bit more inspiring. No, not at all. Um, it was just that I was scared. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but as far as my story, you're right. I don't think that I'm that interesting, but I, I think the one takeaway from it is that, um, I honestly believe that, uh, you don't have to have something super traumatic to happen to you to kind of go down, uh, or to deal with depression or mental anxiety, whatever, you know, yeah. the mental stigma might right, be right. or to have just a tough day, right? right? Like, like there's nothing out there that says it has to be some big traumatic moment. Yeah. And, um, uh, I feel like sometimes people feel ashamed a little bit that like, you know, I'm talking about this and person a has this just kind of horrific right. types background. Right. And I'm saying this kind of the same thing, you yep. know, from a, a diagnosis standpoint and all it is for me is you know um i want to be a size two or right. uh you know i i wish i had you know eight pat abs or right, right. Um, i just don't like my job right? right but i think that the majority of uh everyday people when they're feeling like that i mean that's what it is it's like things that we don't think are a big deal but um it's kind of that uh that idea that it's not a big deal right. that doesn't make us deal with it. Yeah. And it just continually yeah. compounds. And the next thing you know, you're kind of spiraling. Right. And that's when the quicksand starts and it's really mm -hmm. hard to, uh, to get out. So. I always say this. I felt, you know, there were several lows in my life. And I, I remember thinking like, there's no reason, especially when it first kind of started in high school, I, I literally had everything a 16 year old could want. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember feeling bad about feeling bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I had, I had friends going through real trauma and they were showing up every day and smiling. And here I am with two loving parents and a, a car given to me and homecoming, like all these things that from the outside looked like I should be the happiest girl in the world. But whatever it was, you know, from my childhood and then obviously um, probably hormones and, and genetics, I felt so ashamed for feeling bad and not being able to control it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole stigma and this embarrassment that comes with depression. And I think the more that we talk about it on an everyday life and in not huge traumatic events that might spiral you in, but just things like just yeah. emotions, the more that we talk about that, the more it will be talked about and the more that people will actually like be able to deal with it. Um, I wish I had, this to listen to all those years ago, you know, and especially mm, yeah. coming from a guy and this whole like sense of masculinity and we've got to be the, the provider and we've got to, you know, do all the things like you feel even worse when you can't do those things. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, after my divorce, uh, I actually, you know, I was struggling at work cause I wasn't sleeping at all. And I remember like there was a certain conversation I was having and I wanted to say, at the time that I'm just mentally not okay right yeah. now. But I, like, I, I felt almost like a shame saying that as, totally. a, as, as a male. As a man, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I feel like, a, and I'm not trying to be biased here, but I feel like a woman would be a little bit more accepted. Yeah. Whether that's a, a, a double-edged sword or not. But, it is. But more accepted being like, I'm just not mentally okay. Right. But I felt like for me, I just had to say that like, uh, you know, the divorce is hitting me hard. Right. But I, right. I, I couldn't say that uh, I'm mentally not okay. Like uh, I'm really depressed right now. I'm having trouble concentrating. Yeah. And uh, you know I'm just not performing my duties as well. So right. I 100% uh, right. agree with you. I remember specifically thinking that at the time that yeah. I had to really craft what I'm about to say in more of a uh, uh, manly or kind of masculine way right. versus just being able to say what I want and being like, guys, I'm depressed. I'm not doing well. Right. Right. And honestly, once you say that, isn't it like so like oh, freeing? It's like a weight off your shoulders. And uh, I, was, I was talking to one guest a couple of weeks ago. It's like, I have no problem sharing my story because there's nothing else that anyone can say about me that I haven't already thought about myself. <laughs> you know, like I've thought it's the worst true. things about myself. And it's so freeing to mm -hmm. just be open and honest and help other people that are really struggling. 
um, that it gives me such a sense of purpose. And I think you'll find that, you know, putting this out there, you might feel the same way. And just knowing that like, okay, there it is. And either people are going to love you regardless or not. And, and those aren't the people you want in your life anyways. Right. hundred percent, especially for a guy. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, I kept a lot of this to myself. Uh, I would say probably into my like kind of mid thirties, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll actually go a step further and say that the divorce was probably the catalyst to where mm-hmm. I kind of started talking about it more, yeah. mainly because I just couldn't hide it anymore. Right. 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 Um, uh, but I do think it's important that you have a um, close group of people yep. that understand and support you. Um, I can't tell you that uh, how many times. Uh, it's not anything serious, but like, uh, maybe I just wasn't all there Yeah, and you know, my friends understanding where right. I was and right. then still being supportive, but letting me kind of have a little bit of space as well and not just piling onto it. Right. right. Because like, I don't want to feel bad. I already feel bad, right. but I don't want to feel worse by saying, yeah, I told you I'd go to dinner on Thursday, but I just, I, you know, I can't do it. Yeah. Right. Or I don't want to do yeah. it. Like I would much rather just stay here and eat Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. And so, um, you know, having that understanding between yeah. your friends, I yeah. think was a huge step forward for me. Um, once I felt comfortable enough to be like, uh, you know, like Josh, I just don't feel like it this weekend. Right. Like you guys have fun. If you need me, call me or, right. but, um, right. you know, I think I'm just going to stay in, read, yeah. watch some TV and just yeah. kind of cuddle with the dog, <laughs> you know? And once I felt, it was, like I was amazed at how much pressure was lifted once I could just be honest and say that yes. versus trying to, you know, there's all that anxiety of like, what, what, what excuse can I tell them? <laughs> right. Well, you're, so, you're fearful of the judgment. Yeah. Like, right. Or you, not, not leveling up to what your guy friends are doing. Right. Uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's just, I, it was just so much worse trying to think of ways to get out of things instead of just being right. honest and like, guys, I don't have it. And now once you understand yourself, you can recognize that in another friend and you mm-hmm. can be the one to say, Hey, it's okay, dude, or yeah. check in on them or whatever. And that's how I feel about my life moving forward is I've been given a, a gift and an opportunity to help other people and take away the judgment that I for so long felt and mm-hmm. now be able to kind of pass that on. So yeah. I think understanding you, us as an individual is what we have to do first. And then, and then from there really, um, using that, even though it wasn't a great experience for many years of my life, but being able to use that to kind of help other people. So I'm so glad you agreed to share your story. I think it's incredible. (laughs) And um, I, I really hope that it's helpful to you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Six Feet Above podcast. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode as a new episode is released every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going and feel free to reach out to me directly at Megstagram11. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Megan Armstrong and Denora Sapolia, Edited by Jacob Smullian, and the music is by Keenan Willis. Funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.